For over 10 years, we've been bringing you killer metal music and frank discussions about heavy metal. Wait, who the hell is Frank? You are tuned into MSR Cast, brought to you by Mainstream Resistance. Here are your hosts, Kerry the Metal Geek and Sean the Metal Pigeon. Keep it metal. Hello, this is Dauber. And this is Cammy. We're from Oceans of Slumber. And you're listening to MSR Cast. Welcome, my friends, to episode number 286 of MSR Cast, your heavy metal podcast. I am one of your hosts. I am Carrie the Metal Geek, along with Sean the Metal Pigeon. How, how are you doing, sir? I'm okay. We are yeah. doing a very, very special episode tonight. It's the it's it's now as of recording 2023, and 30 years ago was a very important year, I think, for music in general. Um, a lot of good. A lot of my formative metal albums came out in that year, um, so I wanted to talk about it. And I, I would be remiss if I did not invite our good friends from the Metal Exchange podcast, Chris and Justin. Thank you for coming on the show tonight. Thanks for having us. Yeah, so happy to be back. Um, 1993 was quite the formative year for me as well, and quite the transitional yep. year for music, which I'm sure we'll get yes. into. Yeah, we've we've uh we've all picked out a couple tracks we're gonna play, and and I think a little bit everybody's a little bit different right now. Um, I'll, I'll preface: nineteen ninety three was I, I'm older than you guys. That was the year I graduated high school. Um, I did a lot. Looking at my list, I'm like, oh, Roadrunner, I guess, was very important to me that year. Um, a lot of the stuff I listened to was on Roadrunner records, but um, a lot of other stuff too. Um, and we're gonna get into all that, but. Sean, I want to start with you. Uh, what did 1993 mean to you musically? I mean, <laughs> that's such a tough question because, like, my mem- one, my memory still is is very fuzzy, but also just like at that time, in that time period, I think I just I was a sponge, so I would just listen to anything that came my way, and I would go and to used music stores and buy like cassettes of stuff because they were cheaper. So I, I was listening to, I could have been listening to anything from Merciful Fate to Green Day to Anthrax or whatever, you know, whatever it was. Um, uh, so I think when I think back on that time period, I just think like I was willing to listen to metal wise. I think I was listening to more mainstream stuff like Megadeth and yeah. Metallica and Iron Maiden and stuff and sticking to that stuff. I had discovered Halloween by that point. Because I accidentally had bought a cassette of um, of the keep the second Keeper album. Okay, at least um, it was a chameleon. Just because I was like, I would I would just buy anything that looked metal, vaguely yeah. metal, whether I knew it or not. So that's kind of where I was at that point. That was the same way with me for Keepers. It was Keepers Part Two. Uh, do you remember West Oaks Mall? Yes. There, there was a, a music. I store bought a ton there. of crap in that music yes. store. My very first CD was was purchased in that store, uh, <laughs> Slayer, Show No Mercy. When it finally came out on CD, I'm like, I'm buying that. But yeah. I, my parents we took me there, and they had a – this is definitely way before 93, but there was a huge display with, like, this pumpkin on it. And I'm like, oh, that looks really fucking cool. I've got to buy that. I don't know. I didn't know who they were at the point. But, yeah, Halloween has become one of my favorite bands from that moment on. Um. Now, you guys, before we get into what uh, was formative for you, I just listened to your last episode where you covered an album from 1993, the uh, aforementioned Halloween Chameleon. And I hadn't heard that album in 
many, many years. And uh, I blame you guys for that. <laughs> Talk about a uh, departure from their original sound. You mentioned yeah. the Keepers albums. They would do such a pivot in five years that it was um, quite startling, actually. And if you didn't realize, you would think it was two completely different bands. It's just a complete 180 uh, from that original power metal sound. And, and I think that's part of the reason why the album gets uh, criticized as, as much as it does. But I think, you know, you know, as kind of going back a little bit, I think a lot of bands really were in a state of transition around this time for reasons I think we'll probably discuss later on. Yes. But they would find their way again, I think, a little bit later into the late 90s and early 2000s. That was definitely a topic I wanted to touch upon um, that, you know, 91 is sort of started to a lot of the thrash bands and the heavier bands and stuff that we grew up listening to started to get a little bit of that mainstream feel like grunge was starting to come in and all that kind of stuff. And I think some, it, some of that reasoning is why some of the, some other bands just went the opposite direction. And we started getting all these classic death metal albums too, you know, and black metal too was starting to really become in its own. But yeah, a lot of the, like the bands, like we were talking about like Metallica or metal church or annihilator, they all Megadeth for sure tended to, uh, blend some of those modern tendencies into their music. And it was sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. We can leave it at that. <laughs> what about what about you, Chris? Uh I will say in ninety-three I was still trying to figure out what my like musical identity was. Um mm -hmm. I was probably still listening to the monkeys more than anything else. It was in ninety-four that I really started to glom onto what was being played on the radio and MTV. And I, I started out really into the alt rock and the grunge stuff. And it wouldn't be until a few years later that I would start grasping onto metal and then going back and kind of listening to some of the stuff that would have come out this, this year from the bands that I started to like, like Halloween and Gamma Ray and uh, Royal Hunt and, um, Angra, I'm sure we'll touch on, on a, a bunch of those, but um, I, yeah, I, I was, um, you know, a you know, ten or eleven years old around that time, so I was, you know, just kind of listening mm. to what my parents were listening to for the most part. Which my mom was always listening to classic rock radio, and my dad would listen to a lot of like oldies, which nowadays yeah. would be what <laughs> what some of <laughs> we're going to talk about uh, today, sadly, but. Um, yeah, yeah, at the time it was a lot of like doo wop and and like that kind of thing. So um, I mean, when the bands that, that we're too. talking about today, these albums are thirty years old. So that's something right there. I was gonna because yeah. you guys are much younger than me. Um, I was about eighteen, nineteen during this time frame. So I was definitely into music. But you, you talked about how did you go back to years past and and try to go back to these albums you had never heard before? Is that a daunting task and how did you pull out what you wanted to listen to? And these are questions for all three of you guys. Yeah, I'll jump in. You know, it's funny. I, I was the same, I'm the same age as Chris. So I was about 11 years old and I was just listening to rock music. I'll get to one of the formative albums from, from this era because it was the first rock album, the first full length album that I ever purchased. We'll, we'll get there, but that listening to harder rock was really a gateway to a lot of, 
alt rock that was popular in 94 and then the metal that I started listening to in 95 and 96. So by the time 97 and 98 rolled around, when I first heard what we'll call power metal or progressive metal, 93 wasn't that far behind. So I was for a lot of these bands that I was getting into in the mid to late 90s to go back two albums or so to 1993 was the natural progression. So once Mm -hmm. I heard Angra for the first time, I, you know, in, in when I heard Holy Land, the natural progression was go back and find Angels Cry, and I happened to actually prefer that album. So yeah. it was, and, and then you got to remember there weren't as many bands as there were today, or at least the 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 these genres weren't glutted with bands. So you could count on you know two hands the number of power metal bands that were really doing stuff in '93. So it was a lot easier. The only difference is you didn't have the internet to rely on when you were getting into this stuff so it was kind of hit or miss you'd go into a store you'd buy an album and there was a really good chance that the album was not that good you know in retrospect but god did we spend a lot of money doing it i know for me at that time yeah you this is before internet of course i would i used metal maniacs i think a lot um i'd always look at people's they would like looking for pen pals or whatever i don't remember whatever section was and they would always say hey I'm a fan of these bands and I would, I would find a couple of bands that I liked and then I would see what other bands they listen to. And I'm like, I've never heard them. Let me go to the store and check it out. Same thing. Modernly people like, I've never heard this band. Let me pop open Spotify. And that's a whole topic for a whole different discussion. We're not going to go there, but um, what about you, Sean? What, uh, how did you go back and discover bands that you got into later in life? Um, well, at the time it, it really was just like a crapshoot of like, yeah, you would, you would find the magazines like at the seven 11, like w- even beyond metal edge, like metal maniacs and stuff mm-hmm. like that and pit or whatever, ex- whatever existed back then. And you would just remember names and you'd pour over it. Even if you didn't have money to buy the magazine, you'd always read it all <laughs> at the, at the stand. Yep. And, um, and the, the reality was that when you went into like a record store, a, you didn't have that much money you were limited on income and they didn't have that much selection. So you were really, I would say at that point, and I, I don't know if it's the same for you guys, but the used bin was like the, yes. the gold mine for me. Cause that's how I got into like everything from like glam metal, pop metal, death metal, anything. I was like, Oh, there's a band called death. I had never heard anyone talk about that band. I just got an album of theirs on CD from the used bin. And uh, that's how I, and basically my my approach was anything that looks like rock or metal i'll buy it so i ended up with some stuff in there that i didn't really really care for like asia or whatever yeah you know um and like that, the, that the was pre- that was done in the heat of the moment right yeah <laughs> <laughs> or like like i remember buying a cassette of pre um pre steve perry era journey and just going like this sucks <laughs> and um but but uh, oftentimes that's I, my opinion I on the, the entire journey like, like, like he, you know, just like stuff that I, stuff that ultimately I wasn't even that into, like later on down the line, like I can honestly say I'm not the biggest Soundgarden fan. I'd still buy it because I'd be like, oh, it's, it's rock adjacent, it's metal, whatever. You know, I didn't care what it was. I would just buy it like, you know, like a sponge basically. So that's how, and we're that's from how the you same, built it up. We're from the same area. There there used to be, what is the sound warehouse or something in Sugarland? They used mm-hmm. to go in there and they would have like this bar with CD players in their personal little CD players. And you would go up to them and go, I would like to listen to this. And they would just open it up and let you listen to it. Yeah. That's how I discovered a lot of stuff too. Um, you know, you mentioned Soundgarden and stuff like that. 
I guess this is getting towards the tail end of all that grunge era, maybe. As uh, one of the most important albums of the that year for me was Nirvana in Utero. Um, I was in a band that year. We, I had a me and my best friend Scott, who's no longer with us, and my cousin started a band. We weren't very good. Um, my neighbors hated us, but we were called Gossamer hmm. uh, after our our short lived band called Godcock. And um, you know, we we wrote some originals, but we we did. A cover of of rape me we did uh valerie from the monkeys that was my my forcefulness on that one and uh, a couple other things we did like uh am i evil from metallica uh diamond head it was fun it was a good time but you know those early 90s i listened to a lot of the grunge stuff that was coming out uh allison chains pearl jam soundgarden i had seen all those bands like before they were like super huge right um, like I saw Soundgarden and Pearl Jam together in like 1991 on a on a tour, and they played this. Do you remember the Unicorn Ballroom, Sean, up north? It used to be a used to be a just a grocery store. They just gutted it out and made it into a. I've heard of it. I, I've yeah. never been there. Yeah, saw some many saw many many great shows there, but I remember getting kicked in the head by Chris Cornell when he was stage diving. That's always a memory. Um, <laughs> and I saw one of the original, the first. Not the first year, but like the second and third year of uh, Lollapalooza. So, I know I say I'm a metalhead, but I, I I enjoyed a lot of that stuff too, especially back in the early '90s. I liked a lot of, I wouldn't call it uh, like modern rap, but like bands like Cypress Hill and stuff like that. I was really into that type of stuff too. So, I had a wide uh, variety of bands that I listened to. And for me, we, we, we talked about uh, Nine Inch Nails on yes. our last podcast. It's, Downward Spiral, um, right? Yeah, I don't know if it'll be out before or after this episode drops, but, um, you know, I was kind of reminiscing about how at the time, like the radio that we in New York, our, our top 40 station was Z100, and it still is, I think, to this day. Mm-hmm. And so, whatever top 40 was at the time is what they played. And at the time, top 40 was Nirvana and Pearl Jam and Green Day and Soundgarden. And so that's what I would turn on MTV or turn on the radio. That's what I'd hear. I remember closer from nine inch nails. Yeah. Surprisingly was like on that song. Uh, How many times is that song? I want to say, I want to fuck you like an animal. (laughs) (laughs) I remember in uh, the summer of 94, when the song Shine by Collective Soul came out, mm. every radio station was playing it mm-hmm. ad nauseum. Just like, it, that's just what was uh, the the flavor of the day. And like, I, I would say like a year or two later, like it wasn't even like, like, like American rock music was just not yeah a discussion in the, in the, in the top 40. Like it just wasn't, there was just this short period of time from like 91 to maybe 95 where it was yep. just like these, these kind of bands really were big. And then it just that, and that's kind of what, what, what led me to kind of look elsewhere for musical enjoyment. And that's, that fix. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I miss, I always, I miss being collect- excited about it. You mentioned collective. So I always, I, they wrote some good songs. I always wish they would just turn up that distortion a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Come on guys. Yeah. You're right there. Just do it. Um, before we get into, uh, some of our picks and some of the albums, do you guys want to talk about anything current that you're jamming that you want to, um, put some notice to? 
I'll, I'd like to shout out um, a band that we'll probably talk about in the realm of 1993, but uh, Angra's new album came out literally today. It's on my list. I, list. I listened to that and Serenity's new album as well, mm-hmm. and I really enjoyed both of them quite a bit. So I would uh, definitely recommend uh, both of those if you're a fan of either band. I think you'll be very pleased with uh, both. Because, uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed the new Anchor. I have not heard Serenity yet. It's on my list. But <clears throat> Fabio is, he's a perfect addition as a vocalist in the band. I didn't know if it was going to work out because they, they they sometimes have like odd signatures and stuff like that. But there's some really catchy stuff on this new Anchor album for sure. I'll, I'll add in this. Um the new Angelus Apertrita, if you're into thrash, yes. is fantastic. Yeah. And I think it may be the best sounding thrash album that I've ever heard. I mean, yes. it is just mixed to perfection. So when I need a thrash fix, I, I go right to that. Um, so that's one thing I would say. And if you're looking for something, I guess, um, in the Doom in the doom genre, we're going to cover the new Sorcerer album yes. next week. That's a little peek okay, behind perfect. the curtain. And I listened to it today, and I was blown away. Like, it exceeded it's, it's my expectations. Amazing. It's short, but it's so good. It's, it's what I've been listening to. You know, I, I also don't want to listen to a 75-minute Doom metal album. Yeah. Give me 45 minutes. I'm in. I'm out. I'm on to the next thing. But both of those were, were big hits for me. You gonna you were gonna mention the sorcerer Sean? That's all I've been listening to for the past couple of days. I, I think yeah. it's like their 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 strongest album, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like and like the the degree to which it is their strongest album surprised me. They've been um, building but, to, towards it for a while. Yeah, I mean, I just didn't expect it to be. The, and yeah, you're right. It is it is snappy. It does feel like a short album, but I kind of I do appreciate that. And then um, I did listen to the Anger album. I am sort of impressed with it. Um, based on my first listen, I haven't listened to that Serenity album, mostly because I'll give Anger the benefit of the doubt. I, I, I'm at a point with Serenity where I don't give them the benefit of the doubt, so they're going to have to wait until tomorrow. You're so. a bigger, you're a bigger Serenity fan than definitely me. You're the ones who always sing in their praises. Yeah, well, that was you know Previously. a couple albums back. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Uh, I'll, I'll, I give everything a shot. Uh, you're right that Angelus Apertita. Uh, it's the epitome of what I mentioned earlier, where thrash bands were trying new styles and, and influences into the music, and it worked. It definitely fucking works. It is, hands down, one of the best thrash albums of the year. I agree. And although they try different things, they never stray from their core sound. And I think that's the beauty of it. Like at the end of the day, you know who it is, even though they kind of meander into a couple of different areas that they haven't touched before. Yeah. And uh, if, if, you're, if you're missing that Chuck Billy vocal sound, it's a plenty on this album. Yeah. Uh, well, well said. Well said. I think at the end of the day, it's going to be the, my thrash album of the year. I'd be shocked if something beats it in the next two months. It can't. I've, I've listened <laughs> to a lot of thrash this year and it, it, uh, there's a couple I wanted to mention. Uh, I want to talk about the new Temperance album. Now, this is a band I didn't really know much about, but and the the Aryan connection was not what pulled me into it. I was like, I want to check this band out, and I was listening to it, and I heard the, his voice do the spoken word on the album, and I was sold. But the songs are really good because it does what Arian does so well. It takes motifs and elements from like different songs and you can hear them again later in the album i love when bands do that um 
I want to mention the new Aeonian Saru, which just came out today, called Katara. Phenomenal. But I think my favorite Death Doom album of the year, which really surprised me, is the self-titled On Soren's I Lay. This is, hands down, one of the top albums I've heard all year. Um, production is amazing. The songwriting is really impeccable. Um I really like in my Death Doom like the the combination of like the 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 female vocals with the super freaking just like brutal and and guttural death metal vocals that they use. It's a it's a beautiful combination. And uh, the new Insomnium Songs of the Dusk EP came out this week, which is uh, basically what they said a continuation of the, the Anno album they just had extra songs and didn't want to make them b-side so and apparently in the storyline of the album the last track on here is an alternate ending to the album which is a little it's interesting i haven't That's cool. heard that yet but um i'm looking forward to that but as far as those other two albums the only and sorrow and the uh, uh on thorns i lay i actually listened to both of them this week yeah. Both of them are very, very good, um, and and there's similarities between them. But yep. there's, uh, but at the same time, um, they're both very well done. You mentioned the production; both both very well produced. Um, but there's something about that um, the blend of styles on the on Thorns I Lay between the brutality mm-hmm. and then the melodic piano, which just yeah. screams like something that I would love because I love that contrast. There's been a lot of really good uh, bands in that genre this year. And, uh, well, not to spoil anything, but we'll have to take a look at our top albums of the year, and you'll you'll, you'll probably guess a few for mine. Um, all right, let's move on. Uh, I, we have a list of, like, of almost every single album that came out in the metal genre of this, of this year. Um, and we'll touch on some of those after we go through our list. So... We all picked out some songs. Uh, we're going to start with uh, we'll start with Sean. Actually, um, we talk about some of your favorite albums from that year, and we're going to play some tracks. So uh, take it away, my friend. Um, so I mean, I, we're going to cross over a lot. But, I mean, the we first will. thing that came to mind was Carcass Heartwork, um, because that is an when I think to about 1993, I think about like the roots of mellow death. And I think about carcass and think about dark tranquility, sky dancer, the, mm-hmm. you know, the famous Anders Frieden fronted album. And I think about like, um, even something like dissection, which is, um, the somber Wayne, which is like really important album in, in melodic death metal terms. And also in some way for melodic black metal, because it was like a band that bridged the two things. I didn't, I didn't learn about dissection until like 96 or 97, somewhere around there, but it was going, it was buying this album first and then getting, um, uh, getting the, the other one um, right after that. But um, uh, I'm going to say the, une- my unexpected pick was um, uh, the album I most associate with this year is Siamese dream from the smashing pumpkins. <laughs> um, because I, at when this album released, I I got it. I I had heard. I think I had seen the video at my friend's house who had MTV for today, um, or it might have been Disarm. I can't remember. And I just went out like that weekend and got the album. Um, Is today on that album? Yeah. Okay. 
And um, that album, I listened to it nonstop, almost I think that entire year. Like I remember just being on the school bus with my Discman, you know, like going over bumps and it skipping and whatever. And I'd, oh, be, yeah. I'd just be listening to that album on the way to school, on the way back from school. And I it just – and the one thing is like I, all the grunge stuff sort of missed with me. I, there's some stuff I like about it, but – Pumpkins, I never really considered to be grunge in the true in that sense because they had this grandeur about them and this kind of um, elegance to their sound. It was you had the distorted kind of grungy guitars, but it was it just seemed more complex and more interesting than the grunge stuff that was you know the other stuff that was coming out from Seattle. So that album, I think I'm gonna pick as like my most 1993 album. Um, just for me personally. I'll be honest with you, Sean. Um, I know songs off this album. I don't think I've ever heard it in its enti- in entirety. I, I think even though I probably it. own it, I think my wife has a copy of it, but yeah, I mean, the, just the guitar tone on the album is just, is amazing. And just the, the, it just has a, an intensity and a power to it. And, and from no, no weak songs start to finish. So, I think it's their best album. I really oh, do. Yeah. I lo- I, back in 93, I played this like crazy myself. Um, they would obviously be- go on to superstardom with their next album. I mean, that just put them in another stratosphere. But for my money, top to bottom, I think this is their best album. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I remember Disarm got so much. Disarm and Today both got so much play Today, on MTV. Yeah. Like those two music videos, I just remember seeing constantly. And then I remember... I would get into the song Cherub Rock from, I think, Guitar Hero, just from playing Guitar Hero <laughs> yeah. years later. I was like, oh, I, I missed this one from 93. This is a this is a, a pretty damn good song, too. Such a great I, riff. I want to go back to what you said about uh, Heartwork from Carcass. I know that album gets a lot of guff in the, in the metal community. But I think it was one of the very first metal, death metal albums that sort of started bridging different genres together, like the death and roll. You know what I mean? Um, I absolutely love Heartwork. It's it's one of my favorite albums from them. Uh, one of the reasons we went and saw them what back in March or April, yeah, or this year, and that was my first time ever seeing them live. And anytime anything off like Heartwork came on, I was super stoked for it. It was a great. <laughs> Great show. Well, you know, the, this, just a great illustration of the bullshit of the internet sometimes is that, like, <laughs> you're right. Heartwork does get a lot of guff from metal fans online. Yet, when we saw them, and, and when I saw them previously before that, every time Heartwork songs came on, the crowd went nuts. So it's, it's that reality trumping the internet thing, you know, of like. <laughs> the internet like, is just made for people that like to complain. We know. Yeah. We all know that. Yeah. Um, so. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a little audible here. I want to play the Carcass No Love Law song, and then we're gonna play Sean's songs that he had picked. So, if you want to introduce this this next section, we'll go right into these. This is gonna be a a weird uh, and varied <laughs> set of songs right here. <laughs> I'll say this may be the first time that Carcass and Smashing Pumpkins have ever been played back to back by anyone. I I think you're right. Yeah. Um... This is a carcass, no love lost from the great heartwork.
back to the show, my friends. Uh, that was a very interesting segment of music. Um, sorry if it was a little long there, but we had some Smashing Pumpkins, Cherub Rock from 1993's Siamese Dream, which, like I said previously, I don't, I've only really heard songs that were popularized on radio and MTV and stuff like that. I I need to go back and actually listen to the album in its entirety. Um, then dissection the somber lane from the album the somber lane. I've never you you mentioned Sean that you didn't really get into them till like three or four years later. I know this yeah. is a seminal band, but I've never really gotten into them. Well, that's unfortunate. I know <laughs> it's it's one of those things. I don't I don't know how it ever uh, escaped my radar for that this long, but. Uh, there it is. And then before that, uh, there was no love lost on that track. It was a uh, carcass from the album hard work. Yeah. Is there anything I mean, else on your, uh, your, your list that we, we want to talk about, Sean? Um, so the, I mean, the, the stuff that I penciled in from the edge of Sandy spectral sorrows, it's not my favorite edge of Sandy album. Um, but it is a important album. I think historically just, of that band changing their sound sort of sentence did the same thing north from here. Yeah. Um, Satyricon dark medieval times. And I didn't want to, I wasn't sure about putting them as a pick, but um, fight <laughs> war of, of words of the, the fight album. I, I thought I it was love, interesting. I love that album. Cause it was, it was a, for priest fans, it was like a, I can imagine at the time, it was just sort of an affront of like, really, after Painkiller, you're gonna, <laughs> you're gonna bail. <laughs> so, well, if you've listened to his books, you know the story was. There's a little bit more to it, but yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, then you I know, think it was a mistake that he left the band. I'll just say that it no, was an it accident. Was, yeah, yeah. It was it was a whole whole situation there. Yeah. But, um, and then sabotage edge of edge of thorns. Um, yeah, we're gonna definitely. Let's let's talk about Edge of Thorns right now. Yeah, um, such an important album for for people that are into prog and power metal and and metal in general. It's just they not to say that the the previous albums weren't great, but I think Edge of Thorns is really when they found that combination of just being like the epic band that they turned into. You know, it was my first Sabotage album. Oh, really? Again, it was one of those things I just found in the used bin, the CD of, and I was like, "Oh, all right, that's, that looks cool." And I listened to it, and I was like, "Okay, cool." And then when I when I went back and got their earlier albums, was surprised that that the singer was different. <laughs> I was just like, "What is going on here?" Well, I mean, this uh, was I could the see, debut I could of Zach see the, I could see the appeal yeah. of picking up that that like album cover and being like, "Wow, this looks really freaking cool." That was a really oh, killer yeah. album cover. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. it looked it looked maiden like a cross between Iron Maiden and Halloween, sort of. So, yeah, yeah. we yeah. we did an episode on that uh, on that album, I think, a, a quite a while back, like towards the beginning yeah. of when we first started the podcast. And uh, it's such an interesting album. Sabotage was the first metal band that I really like glommed onto big time. Like that, they were like I was obsessed with them. Um, mm. And I got in. I started with Handful of Rain, and then went to Gutter Ballet. I was like bouncing back and forth through the whole discography, all over the place. And w- when I did get Edge of Thorns, it was um, it was just the 
it's the only album that has uh, Zach Stevens and Chris Oliva together. And yeah. I feel like it's such a magical combination. Um, there's, so, there's like so many really good tunes on, on that album. The, the uh, title track uh, not being the least of which, but um, I, I, the, it was to me like the beginning of, of this, the, the, it was the beginning of the Zach era of sabotage. And it was a really like powerful way to kick things off. Yeah, Edge of Thorns is, in my opinion, one of the best songs ever ever written. It's just, it's a magical song. Not, the entire album, maybe not as as much. I I really love a handful of rain. Um, that album is very important to me because I was listening to it and my dad really liked it because it had like these the Queen elements of it, you know, like the Bohemian Rhapsody elements of it and stuff like that. And that was something every time we would. Get, get in my car and go somewhere. He's like, "Oh, do you have that uh, sabotage album? Let's hear that." So, that I was the to... that was my first metal album. That was the first metal was album it? I ever owned. Yep. And then then my dad got into Metallica S and M somehow. I don't know how that happened, but <laughs> <laughs> it all went downhill from there. <laughs> but yeah, uh, sabotage such a great band. I'm, and I just looked on their wiki page, and uh, there's something called Curtain Call coming out in 2024. Is, it, is that a real album? What's going on there? There is talk that it's going to be a full length album. Um, not many details given out, but they they've they've committed to another album and they want to do another world tour before they hang it up. So uh, aptly named because it's probably going to be their last yeah. one. We'll see what happens. It's uh, they got all that TSO money, man. They got to do something yeah. with it. It's supposed to have pretty much like every living ex member of the band is going to be a part of it. Um, so it, it's, it sounds like if it comes to fruition, it's going to be really cool. Have, have it, any of you guys it, seen them live? I have seen them twice and mm. I've also seen John do a solo thing and I've seen have, Zach have with, seen. so I, I've seen different incarnations, but I never got to see all of sabotage together yeah with Zach. So I've seen Zach and John together. I mean, just different incarnations, uh, but I will travel just about anywhere yes. to see them. On if this Halloween can do it, Sabotage can do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I yeah. saw them when they were touring Poets and Mad Men with mm-hmm. um, Jack Frost and Damon Janaya. Were, yep, uh, I, w- I saw that too. Yeah. That was Damn the first, that was really the only time I saw Sabotage under the banner Sabotage. Um, yeah, and then I saw uh, I saw Circle to Circle cover or do all of Wake of Magellan with oh, Justin, cool. and then saw John Oliva's Pain do all of Streets also with Justin. Yes. Um, I saw that, but tour. yeah, I've never actually seen like a like a classic sabotage lineup yeah. all together Me at too. one time. Sadly. Unless I, unless it was at one of the fifteen TSO shows I've been to. <laughs> I have never seen a TSO show because. I never, it's weird because I, I don't know who's going to be. There's two touring factions. I don't know who's going to be at each one, and I don't want to take the chance. Uh, it's usually sabotage song right there. Take a chance. It's usually very nice. It's usually known ahead of time. So, because uh, I think Al Petrelli is usually on the West Coast with uh, Johnny Middleton, and then Caffrey and Jeff Plate are typically on the East Coast. And uh, usually Russell Allen and Zach Stevens are both. Uh, two of the singers on the East Coast, then Jeff Scott Soto's typically on the West. So that's usually which is weird because, like, yeah, I see those, but I'm like, they never tell you because we're in Texas, we're like 
in that middle section. They right. just have east and west, and they never tell us which one we are. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. that's, that's interesting. We're stuck in is, the middle, man. Is Zach still <laughs> singing with him? Is he? Is Zach uh, I'm sorry, singing? what was the question? Is yeah, Zach he, still singing with TSO? That's interesting. Zach? Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's he's back with yes. them, and I think he'll be on that new album. So looking wow. forward to it. Yeah, uh, Carrie, they actually played the song Handful of Rain um, oh. not last year, but the year before. And nice. I... I was I was in like the third row or whatever, and I was just losing my mind because all the all the old school sabotage fans all of a sudden you see they like rise out of their seats, yeah, and they like and they're like wearing like leather jackets, like yeah. battle jackets, and old old like Power of the Night tour T shirts and stuff, and it's like and everybody just like yeah yeah man yeah I was there like uh, so and everybody was, else in the audience is like what's up with these hooligans? Yeah, my my parents were with me, and my my dad looked up and he goes, "Wow, this got real heavy real quick." <laughs> that'd be amazing to see that uh anything else sean that we wanted to uh talk about here for you uh paradise lost icon and morbid angel covenant covenant i was that was going to be on my list I'm, let's we can talk yeah. about that right now too for sure yeah um i mean i guess you could say an iconic album that maybe sometimes gets a little um glossed over um same thing with icon i would say um, the other, the other one I didn't actually mention was Sepultura Chaos AD. I think you were going to mention it. I'm right? going to. Yeah, but, okay. uh, for yeah. sure. Let's talk about, let's, let's talk about the Morbid Angel and then we'll talk about, uh, the Paradise Lost because if, I don't know if you didn't know about it, but Icon, they've re-recorded it for the 30 year anniversary and they've released a couple of tracks already, which is very interesting. That, that album uh, not my favorite Nick Holmes uh, performance, but it's still important for that for that genre, that peaceful death of doom genre. You know, it gets overshadowed by Draconian Times um, mm, for sure by even Paradise Lost fans. But yeah, um, it was yeah I would say important for the genre because it was. I mean, you can you can source gothic metal back to that album, I think, and and have a good argument for that. So, uh, yeah. No, true belief. I mean, right there, that's one of the their, the best song they've ever written. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I the, you mentioned uh, what was the last one you mentioned? I'm sorry, sir. Uh, the Chaos AD. Oh yeah, do you want to talk about that now? Because I could, I can go into Chaos AD. Sure. Yeah, I'm a huge old school Sepultura fan. Arise, uh, even the Chaos AD. I think. That's that that whole that mid nineties. Um, I don't want to call it bro metal, but it was starting to get to that area that you you guys covered uh, Demanufacture on one of your episodes, and it's it fits right in there. I love Demanufacture; it's one of my favorite albums. Um, and Chaos AD is one of my favorite albums. I listen to that nonstop all the time. Um, great great music on there. And I was in a, a band a couple years later. Uh, we were called Gut Wrench. We tried our best to, to do justice to Refuse, Resist, and it it was okay. But <laughs> yeah, um, what this is what like Roots was right after this in '96, right? And that's yeah. sort of that's right after the the Cavalier Brothers left and all that, or Max left after that, and they sort right. of. 
went dormant for a little bit and they came back. I've never been a huge fan of their return, but it's weird to think like the new version of the band has been around longer than the old version of the band. So it's like yeah. when you're dating somebody and you call it my new girlfriend and you've been together with them for 20 years. So the thing with this album with like uh, chaos AD is that yeah. it's such a representative album for that era of like, they switched up their sound a little bit. Now it got a little more groove stuff in there. They, it, they just incorporate all these different influences in there. That was kind of what was happening in, like to veteran metal bands all over the place. We just men- we mentioned Halloween's Chameleon, and even though that yeah. album was very weird in its making, um, you know, like Creator around this time was doing weird stuff. So yeah, um, like a couple years later. So it's it's that early '90s thing of like ah, let's shake up. If we're a death metal band, we're going to start doing different things. If we're, if we were a thrash metal band, we're going to start doing something different. So it's sort of emblematic of that era of doing, of, of just throwing everything in a blender and, you know, coming up with something that is so all over the place. I mean, there are parts of chaos AD that sound almost like a hardcore band, Yeah, you know, little sections and stuff. It's that, so it's, it's that you mentioned the, the, the key word was groove. Yeah thrash bands, death metal bands, all kinds of bands in this genre, in this in this time period we're starting to put those weird grooves into bands and a lot of times it worked. For Chaos AD, I think it worked. Oh yeah. Um there's some other bands might have not worked as well. <laughs> have what, what are you laughing? What are you going to say? Oh, I'm, I'm trying to guess who you're going to say. Oh, uh, I don't have anybody in mind, but um, we I'd have to think about it. Halloween. What, hell, I'm not going to say Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> what are you? What are do, you guys? Do you guys? Do you guys think that there were a lot of bands that were kind of around this time, kind of having like an identity crisis because like metal, yes. at least in the U.S., like metal was kind of out the window and, yes. and you have these Nirvanas and your Alice in Chains and Pearl Jams. And it's kind of like, what do we do to like still stay on the radar? You know, and- that, that's totally right. They're trying to hold on and still keep their audience, but trying to gain new followers as well, which is never easy to do. Cause you're, you're either going to make your old fans not like what you're doing. Or, and then, then you have the chance of new people not, like gleaming onto it but yeah that's a lot of bands i think during that era had that that worry um, i mean you guys on on the podcast covered um pull by winger and and that's a pretty good example of that of like whether it's record company pressure or, or management pressure or whatever it is them going like well things are changing in the landscape and you know the sound of our last, our first two albums aren't going to cut it anymore. So let's let's get more aggressive and change the guitar tone and change producers or whatever they have to do to to you know a year later Motley Crue would would have that that Karabi album that self titled Karabi album and it did not sound like Motley Crue at least to me when I listen to that album it's just like that does not sound anything like Motley Crue. Well, before so. Nevermind, pre ninety one, I think everyone was in the kind of in the groove, and then once Nevermind yeah. hit, everything changed. So by the time you get to ninety three, which was like the next album for a lot of these bands, they just yep. did a complete pivot. But out of this change in ninety three, and this goes back to what I was saying earlier, it was really a year of transition because you had a lot of bands 
it, you, you were starting to see the genesis of black metal uh, and at the gates album, the genesis of melodic death metal. Um, you know, you, I, the, in many ways, the second wave of power metal with some of the bands I'm sure we'll discuss later, like Angra, for example. Um, you know, so you were really, it was a time of transition and we were pulling away from the hair metal or what was kind of popular back in the late eighties. And then yeah. going into all these either more extreme, whether it be faster or heavier, uh, and, and it was from there that you got to see a lot of experimentation, some of which was great, like Winger's Pull, very good example of an album, I think, where they actually took the next step forward. And then other bands like Guns N' Roses who put out the Spaghetti Incident. So like you, you went in multiple directions, but uh, bands were definitely experimenting at this time. I'm, I'm surprised. I'm, I'm happy you mentioned the Spaghetti Incident. I never... Um... I like that album, but I never really considered that a full album. I always thought it was more like a, it felt more like a B side and cover stuff. You know what I mean? Sure, sure. But it certainly was. It certainly did not have the feel of Use Your Illusion or no. let alone Appetite. So you know they were they were maybe they were B sides or maybe they were just extra album cuts. But there was you know there was definitely a pivot, and they never really went back to that original sound. If we're being honest, it was those three big albums, and that was it. And and they're still listen. They're still selling out stadiums off of those three albums so god bless them but at the end of the day uh use your use use your illusion three it was not yeah i'm looking at it uh now it, it, it's all cover songs the uh yeah. um yeah yeah i forgot about that it was like mostly punk covers and yeah, stuff. yeah I, it was just, I but it was it. just but it, i mean it was nothing in the vein of what they had originally done no. and they had done some great covers in their original style you know you know knocking on heaven's door and stuff like that but this was not that was wait that was a cover <laughs> I'm joking. Yeah, I, I was, for a second. The look I was on about your face, ready. you're like, uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, and I know we're there's going to be a lot of crossover with some of our discussions. So I'm going to bring it to our guest now. Uh, we'll start with you, Chris. Let's start. Let's talk about some of yours on your list. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, like for me, like this is um, a really kind of half and half. It's like half alt grunge and then half metal because you know i was uh i really started to get into the mainstream stuff the following year so i would go back and listen to um uh, you know it's 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 funny i i talk a lot about how like my intro to metal was from a mixtape that a friend made for me and and that kind of everything snowballed from there similarly about three years prior to that, three or four years prior to that, a friend in sixth grade made me a different mixtape. And this mixtape had songs from two albums that came out in 1993 that um, were huge for me. And I think pretty big deal, um, you know, as radio hits go. Uh, Counting Crows, August and everything after um, the song Mr. Jones was probably to the annoyance of many, <laughs> one of the most played songs on the radio around that time and one the other my, album one of my co-hosts on metal geeks brutal dave counting crows is one of his favorite bands yeah hmm. I, I they were like one of my first favorite like alt rock you know yeah. uh bands and the other the other uh album was pearl jam's uh versus album which was their second album and that came out in 93 and so that kind of kicked off what would probably like take take over like the next two or three years of my life of just being obsessed with bands like you know green day and the offspring and and pearl jam and and in 97 you know when metal 
kind of reached my radar. Um, I, I'd go back and, uh, and, you know, we, you know, we, we were mentioning earlier, like, you know, what, how do you, how do you go back or how do you decide like which albums to go back to? And, and I think Justin put it quite well that it's like, there wasn't really, it wasn't that hard. Like, you know, even Sabotage who had been around uh, since like, you know, 83, 84, like I, I eventually collected like all of their yeah. back catalog and, and, you know, uh, edge of thorns was, was one of them. Um, Angels Cry by Angra, uh, Chameleon by Halloween. Um, uh, what else? Uh, Insanity and Genius from Gamma Ray. Like these are all albums that I would go back to because I, I just didn't at the time. I just had no knowledge of any of that. Uh, any of that and material. You make a great um, point there. Is like what we did when we were younger is when we discovered a band, we would go buy their back catalog. We'd buy the physical media of it, and it was such a it was so it was a, a much more important way to do that. It was like collecting it that in a way, you know what I mean? It was um, it was like the way that like downloading an album on iTunes has like an impersonal kind of yep. feel to it. It's almost like a transactional. It doesn't have a it doesn't have like as much heart behind it. I remember having a 20, like if I had a $20 bill, yep. that $20 bill meant I was buying an album. And yep. it also meant that there was a very important decision that was about to be made. Video um, game or album. Yeah. Uh, and because <laughs> the album was significantly less money, it usually ended up being, you know, album because, you know, you could go to get a CD for, you know, 15, 16 bucks. And, um, I mean, that, that's, you know, you had asked earlier, like, how do you decide? Like, I remember our friend Ralph, uh, he was the one who made the, the metal mixtape. His older cousin, Pat, is about the same age as Carrie. And I would email him and be like, what albums, like, should I go back and get? And he would be like, oh, you have to get, like, Gamma Ray's Land of the Free. Or you have to get uh, an album that came out in 93, uh, Threshold's Wounded Land, I remember, yeah. was one of the ones that he mentioned. So, like, you kind of had what you lacked in like a Wikipedia or a metal yep. encyclopedia, you had like people that you would reach out to that were more knowledgeable that you would get advice from that you trusted that they knew your taste. Um, so, you know, that that's kind of where I was at. Um, I so used to love making, like, I used to love making mixtapes. There was nothing better than grabbing a stack of CDs and your tape recorder and is making tapes. Hey, we still, I mean, we still make playlists and we put them up on our Spotify page yeah. for our podcast listeners because it's a reflection of what we've listened to in the, you know, in, in recent times or what we've gone back to check out. So we still do it. Um, we just don't hand each other tapes every month. You know, it's just right. up on the, on our, on our media pages. It's the same, same thing. It really is. You cultivate and try to uh, get people to listen to new music. And that's what, what our show is about, you know. 93 it's only five years away basically four or five years away really from when i started mainstream resistance to fanzine they, where the idea came to me so it's really not that big of a time jump you know what i mean and that was the impetus of it was to promote metal and to let people know what you know what i think is cool you don't have to agree with me but i think it's cool 
Yeah, that's it. That's it. And I mean, listen, in many ways, that's what we're both doing now, or all yeah. four of us are doing now. So uh, it takes different forms as the technology evolves, but uh, still, still at the heart of it, it's the same idea. We could all be sitting on our couch watching TV, but we're we're uh, doing this instead, you know, because we love it. People, people like ask me all the time, like, have you watched? Uh, I mean, just Justin well, could attest. Like, so we had a fr- mutual friend like text both of us yesterday and be like, "Have you guys watched Loki yet?" And I've had people ask me, "Have you watched Ahsoka yet?" And it's like, man, when I have free time, I am listening to music, doing the podcast, or playing a video game. Like, you have only so much time, and you have to dedicate it to something. So that's kind of where it all where it all goes for me. Yeah, I, I'm I. You know, I find time to watch shows with my wife. That's, you know, our, our nightly saying. But, yeah, I get it. Um, all right. So what's first on your list, my friend? Uh, the first song uh, w- will be um, the song Leash, which was from uh, Pearl Jam's Versus album. And, and I chose this one because it, it it's probably one of the heavier Pearl Jam songs on on this album and really in their catalog. So I I felt like it would um, at least resonate a bit with um, people that are like metal without being too obnoxiously uh, Seattle (laughs) grunge like. So uh, I I chose Leash uh, from Pearl Jam. And then from my metal side, I chose uh, Last Before the Storm by Gamma Ray, which was from their Insanity and, and Genius album and also happened to be their last album that they did with uh ralph sheepers before he would yeah. move on to start primal fear and uh kai hansen would become the full-time vocalist for the band so those are the uh two songs i thought they kind of um represented those two sides of the coin that of of music that i really um gravitated towards in the 90s it's a good it's a good uh, dichotomy there um, so let's get into uh, Pearl Jam and uh, Gamma Ray, as, as I call them, and we'll be right back. Thank you.
welcome back to the show. That was uh, Gamma Ray in the previous incarnation with um, Mr. Ralph Sheepers on vocals. Was he buff Ooh. back then too? Yeah, he was always buff. He's always been buff. And right? a lot more hair though. Right. That's right. Yeah, he did have hair back then. Yeah, that was the last before the storm uh, in Sandy and, and uh, Genius. And um, yeah, a, a, an interesting period for that band, I would say. Not not my favorite personally. I, you're I right, tend to you're agree right. that the, the re-recordings the, uh, are great. Yeah, the the those three albums that follow, uh, Land of the Free, Somewhere Out in Space, and Power Plant, to me are like the that's like the epitome of Gamma Ray. The, I call that yeah. the Gamma Ray Glory Years trilogy. Oh the yeah, trifecta. classic classic era. Yep. Yeah. And uh, Pearl Jam was before that. I I know I've listened to Versus uh, back in the day when it came out because I remember picking it up at the the store when you could buy albums at a store and going to my friend's house to listen to it. But it did. I don't think it it caught me like Ten did because for me when Ten came out that was like a game changing album for me. That was such a great album. I think from a commercial standpoint, Pearl Jam kind of peaked at the beginning with 10 and then kind of slowly declined, even though they maintained a a massive popularity as far as like a live touring act goes, like they're still selling out arenas and stuff, but I feel like into a jam band. Yeah. In a lot of ways. Um, Not like to the point where it's annoying, I think because I'm a big fan um, even still, but like, you know, versus was pretty huge. And then after that, like, you know, I think, you know, they hit it pretty big with Better Man off of Vitology in 94. But, like, oh, yeah, Better Man. Pearl Jam didn't really have a lot of big radio songs anymore after that. Like, that 10 was the peak. And that was... Well, rock radio wasn't playing Pearl Jam by 95. So that's what happened. And then, yeah. you know, even though I rarely go back and listen to a Pearl Jam album, I wouldn't miss a show. I think that they are one of the best live bands out there. And it's just because you don't know what you're going to get, like, on any given night. And there's something magical about that as a fan. They have so many songs to choose from now, too. Yeah, yeah. Plus, they have a number of cover songs that they're happy to to bust out as well. Like you just think, never know. I don't think I, I've seen Pearl Jam since like nineteen ninety one or ninety two or something like that. Something had come up. Um, it was an anniversary of a show that I went to, uh, where they they closed the Spectrum in Philadelphia by playing. Mm-hmm four shows in five nights with like a one, one night in between where they took the night off and they tried as best they could to make four completely different set lists. They took the night off slackers. Yeah. In between this very slackers, if you will. But, uh, (laughs) the, I, me and a, me and a friend of mine went to the, the last two of the four and the last one was on Halloween night and they were like, you know what? Screw the curfew. This is the last thing that's ever going to happen in this building. They pl- it's still to this day the longest Pearl Jam show ever. It was three oh, wow. hours and 15 minutes. Wow. Uh, they did three encores and played, I think, 45 songs. Damn it, was, it was unreal. And meanwhile, across the street, the World Series is going on at, at uh, the, the ballpark. Uh, was it... Uh, why am I forgetting the name of the ballpark in Philly? But the, fu- the, fu- the Phillies were playing the Yankees in the World Series... And I had a friend who had tickets to the Pearl Jam concert and the baseball game, and he couldn't decide like which one to go to. And I was like, "Well, you could probably go to the game and then catch the end of the show." The, the considering how long it's it's going on, but yeah, 
that was uh i would have gone to the concert and just recorded the game on my tv yeah i mean i don't know it's i guess in philly like when the phillies are in the world series yeah, it's like it, it's it. it's insanity um did you but go that to was that show such a fun night did you go to that show the the three-hour one yeah yeah i was i was there uh it was it was i'm assuming and there was, a, seated, there was an right? opener it wasn't even like they started like the night like they were i think um who who had the audacity for the opener it was bad religion i think oh, well, oh wow all right yeah that was um yeah uh i don't even think i saw them i think i was outside tailgating and then uh it was it was wild like they were just people in the arena in Halloween costumes. I remember going to use the bathroom and there was a dude dressed up head to toe as Hulk Hogan, yellow boots, yellow tidy whities world championship title. Are you sure it wasn't Hulk Hogan? It might've been, it was, if he was very skinny uh, for, for Hulk Hogan, but it was, it was like surreal. I'm like, where am I right now? What a wild, wild evening that was. I think we, I think it was like one o'clock, Around one o'clock in the morning when we were getting getting out of that show. Wow. Um, what is there any other bands uh, from this year album from this year you wanted to touch on? Um, you know, yeah, th- there's a few that we. Uh, I was like going through the list. I'm like, wow, we've done a lot of episodes on, um, ba- like albums that came out this year. Uh, Angels Cry by Anger is one of them. Yeah. Um, I think I had mentioned earlier, um, Wounded Land by Threshold was another, but, um, that was before, yeah, that was definitely, I'm a huge Threshold fan, but that was before my introduction to him, unfortunately. That, that was actually my first Threshold album. That was what I was told by my friend Pat, like, that's the one you got to listen to. So that was, uh, um, that was, uh, who was that? Was a Damien on that album? Yeah, that was, that was their first album. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Damien, Damien was on that one. And then he would bounce around it the um yeah they had a weird you know change up of vocalist for a while yeah and that and that vocalist is the guy who's their singer now yeah the guy who was in between the two damien uh the first two damien yep since and then after mac after he passed yep have you heard uh, a little bit off topic but speaking of damien wilson this new album from lalu yet I have not, um, but I am curious to hear it. I really fucking. Damien Wilson's one of my favorite singers. Like I'm happy to. If you're a Damien Wilson fan, you're gonna you're gonna really like this album. It's a, uh, I think it's our second album, but it's like a a multi instrumentalist guy, and he, I think he writes all the music. Damien Lalu or something like that. Vivian Lalu. Vivian, thank you. Um, Really good stuff. It's right. It's gonna be right up your alley, especially with uh, Damien singing. Awesome. Um, the other thing I noticed too, um, going through the list, and I'll, I'll defer to to you guys for some commentary on this. Yes, but please. there were some pr- pretty um, pretty major live albums came out in '93. Um, I, I know, I, I know what I, you're going to say. You're going to talk uh, well, about what, what's that? The duality of a real live one and a real dead one. <laughs> yep, that as well as. Um, Blind Guardians, Tokyo Tales. Oh yeah, um, yep. and uh, and then Metallica had that box set, um, live the shit. live shit binge and purge box set. I have that box set, yeah, or I too. used to have that box. I set. do I too. I yeah, I remember and, and Ju- Justin. You you will remember this when uh, yeah. Mike got our friend Mike got the box set for as a gift, and he opened it up, and it was the cassettes, and he was like hoping <laughs> it would be the CDs, and oh. he was so disappointed. I had, didn't it, it came with like a VHS tape, didn't it? Yeah, multiple I believe, VHS. Yes, I yeah. So. 
and the other one gets Dream Theater is live at the Marquee. Live at the Marquee, yeah. Their first, uh, the first, I guess, tour with Labrie before he blew out his voice. There's some really good uh, early stuff from Images. That was the one show he did where he was a good singer, I believe. (laughs) Oh damn! Okay, so little little segue here. We haven't talked about on this show, but uh, Portnoy is back in Dream Theater. I think yeah. they've got to do one more tour, one more album, and I think that's got to be it, right? They're not. I don't know. I I, I think that they're definitely going to do another album. I know they're going to do another tour. I guess the question is, you know, it's it's hard to stop when the momentum is there. And to be yeah. honest, they're going to be back in big, big venues. Um, yeah. They, they, you know, I there I can tell you right now. I, my guess would be that they're going to play Radio City Music Hall again in New York City, and that's about six thousand people. Uh, the only thing after that is like a Madison Square Garden or something like that, which holds eighteen thousand. So yeah. it's, it's, I, it's. I don't know. I don't know if they could fill that. No, not neither do I. But they would have to play with somebody else that could help. They they played there with uh, with Iron Maiden, and they, they okay. There well, was not a seat to be had for obvious reasons. Yeah, Iron Maiden can fill that, but. Oh yeah, yeah, right. But, but nonetheless, <laughs> I, they are going to do a massive a massive world tour on the heels of the new album and. Uh, you know, uh, if, if it is the last time, I'm definitely going to make a point to go see them yet again. I wonder if Halloween was like, we're going to do this reunion thing one time and then we'll go back to like, you know, our usual band. And then it was, just, it went over so well. They're like, yeah. screw it. This is, this is what we're going to do now. So I, I saw Dream Theater earlier this year when they toured with Devin Townsend and um, the last song, I think, I don't remember what song it is now. Um, something will go on. Is that? Spirit carries on. My spirit, spirit carries, carries on. on. That's it. Fucking Devin comes out when uh, they were doing that song, and when I felt so bad for for James because comparatively, right after like James LeBrie singing and then Devin singing, it's it's night and day. It's and I I'm not a James LeBrie hater, but yeah, he's not a great live vocalist for sure. Um, I really like him on the Human Equation, the Arion album, but. How much of that is was uh, Aryan like sort of like really fixing his stuff? You know, we don't know. I, I think that that they they do a great job making James sound good in the studio, and I still enjoy listening yeah. to his voice. But um, I just and I I don't like want to beat a dead horse because I mention this <laughs> all the time. But like you have four of the greatest musicians at, at at their respective instrument playing, and then you have like this like guy who just can't really sing as well as he used to like as their singer and it, i think it just brings the whole experience down like that's just like molly crew it's just me <laughs> yeah well molly crew or dream theater which one would you rather see live now uh, Motley dream crew. theater <laughs> <laughs> i'd have more fun at molly crew yeah that's i think that's a fair fair argument <laughs> <laughs> maybe um, is there anything else on your list? Any other albums? Um, there was one other live album I wanted to mention, and that was uh, Ozzy's uh, Live and Loud album came out. Oh yeah, that, that had, well. didn't that have like this weird lenticular cover or something? I yep, and yeah. I believe there was a, I believe there was a, a VHS to this as well. I don't know mm-hmm. if it if they sold them together or separately, but um, I uh, I remember watching the video that came with this. Uh, in Ralph's basement when we were in high school and um, there was a scene where 
uh, Ozzy just mooned the camera, and we thought it was the funniest. Oh yeah, thing. I remember that. <laughs> that was no more tears with like ninety two, right? So this would have been the tour after that. That's yeah, that sounds the, about right. The no more tours out tour that he did in the nineties and didn't last. I think that's yeah, I think I saw I him on that right. on on that tour. Uh, all right, so thank you for those choices. Uh, we're gonna move on to Justin. Um, let's let's talk about your choices, and we'll talk about some of your your other albums as well. I had alluded earlier to the first rock album that I ever purchased on my own, and uh, I, I had to open with this. and And the album is Get a Grip, and the band is Aerosmith, which in I many ways, am so happy you picked this. Now, I got to be honest with you. In many ways, I, I think that this album really is a hard rock album that's a precursor to what I would be listening to all but a year or two later. There were some massive, and I mean massive, radio hits and MTV video play for obvious reasons with some of these hits. But once you get past the hits, which still hold up, by the way, every song on this album yeah. is very, very good. And it's not just a nostalgia thing because no. I go back and listen to this you know, every year or two, and it still holds up. Just a fantastic release and a kind of a return to form um, for these guys who, you know, they've had their starts and their stops. And I know they just recently stopped the tour that they were doing because of health issues to some yeah. of the guys, but what an album. I mean, they're getting old for sure. Um, the, uh, yeah, this album, I, I was never a huge Aerosmith fan, but there was something about this album that really just drew me in. Every song on here is just fun. It's a fun rock album, and you don't hear that a lot, especially back then. It was just not the 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 album of the of the year was not rock albums like like what the Scorpions put an album out that year too, right? Which is yeah, not my favorite album from them, but. <clears throat> Um, face the heat. That's right. But I mean, you had some good ones that year. Uh, I'm not gonna, trying to steal away from too much, but one of my favorite rush albums came out in 93 and that's counterparts. Yeah. And, and, you know, with rush, it was always a little something different because they had moved away from that early eighties synth sound, but it was still like, you know, anything they did was, was, was fresh and they would continue to release albums. Even after this, I remember, um, I remember what, when, uh, Oh gosh, what was that one that came out? I guess it was around the turn of the century that I got a lot that got a lot of play. Um, but they, you know, they they do their thing, you know, better than anyone, arguably. So I can I can certainly see that. Um, another album that came out this year, which was not a favorite of mine, I actually despised the album, but I think it's worth mentioning, and that's Cynic's Focus. Um, a revolutionary album for the yes. time. I do not like it, but if really? you were a progressive death metal fan, yeah. this was this was it. This was where it started, and arguably there is no Opeth without this Cynic album. That's very true, and, and my this is weird. My my nieces really love this band called Sleep Token. Yeah, and Bad Omens. But we we're listening. To, we were in the car last week, and we we're listening to the Sleep Token song. I'm like, this sounds like fucking Cynic. This like that. What is that? That in air album they did, whatever it's called. Yep, yeah. I was like, these guys. I mean, it, it wasn't horrible. There was, um, they did some metalcore stuff that I wasn't really too enamored with. But I'm like, oh my god, this is this has been done way before. That by band, Cynic, yeah, has 
Well, I was going to say Sleep Token is a band that's absolutely blown up. Their their popularity is massive right now. I I am a huge fan, and I I had been listening to them before they got really really popular. But now you can't even get tickets to their shows. They are just selling out everywhere. So they're they're kind of like the next big thing, I think. Yeah. In, in many ways. Very interesting. All right, well, uh, but going back to your list, my friend. What yeah. Well, why don't we do this? Why don't we give Why don't we give a listen to, uh, that, to yeah. Aerosmith's "Get a Grip." And then uh, we'll come back and I'll explain why I chose my second track. Okay, sounds good. We'll be right back.
Roll the Fire by Conception off their 1993 release, Parallel Minds. And I, you know, I was going through the albums that came out this year or, or back in 93. And I would just, I, this was the first time that people heard Roy Khan sing. And I just had to choose one of his tracks. We've mentioned a lot of other great albums from this year, but Parallel Minds was a revolutionary album, kind of blending that Norwegian um, 
classical guitar, you know, from from Tori Ospi with um, this angel of a singer in Roy Kahn, and it's just magic. And they would go on to release two more albums in the '90s, and then finally get back together, you know, about five or six years ago, and, and release other albums and EPs since then. But for those that you know have never heard the band, that that's just a taste of of what they had to offer with Roll the Fire. I was I was so pleasantly surprised to hear Roy Kahn's voice on the new yeah. Serenity album that I mentioned earlier. It was like I think yeah. he was the first voice you hear on the album. I was like, wait, I, I had to do a double take. I'm like, that's not uh, Georg. That's uh, Roy Kahn. Cool. Yep, but, that was uh, the the single they released too. I think. Mm-hmm. I always thought uh, you said Concession. But I always thought it was Concepcion. <laughs> fancy. I don't know. Um, yeah, you know, we've talked, like I said, about a, a bunch of albums from this year, but, uh, just one other album I wanted to mention because much like Aerosmith was a, uh, a transformative album for me, Tools Undertow came out, uh, this year, that year as well. And I remember hearing Sober on Seton Hall's pirate college radio station, uh, back in 95. So it was about two years after the album had come out. And it just hooked me so much that I became a massive Tool fan. And that was really the first metal band that I got into. And shortly after that, it was Metallica. And then it was off to the races. Uh, but yeah, like this was this album came out in 1993. And for, for, you know, Tool is not a band that everyone likes. But for me, when I, especially at this age, it was the natural progression after Green Day and Pearl Jam. So it was Green Day and Pearl Jam and Aerosmith. And then it was Tool and, and, and the rest is history, as they say. Yeah, I mean, this album, uh, it's their first album, isn't it? It's their first full-length album. Full they album, come yeah. out with like an EP before that. But this was their first full-length album. And obviously, Sober gets a, a lot of the credit. But there's a lot yeah. of really good stuff on this album. You just have to kind of find it and listen to it. Because admittedly, I haven't listened to it in a long time. But um, Prison Sex was a great song. And and, and Undertow, um, you know, another interesting tune. So just a lot of, a lot of good stuff on here. Yeah, I, I mean, I'll admit I'm not a huge Tool fan at all. But I do like this album. The um, the music was uh, the music videos were great. Oh yeah, and I loved. I I think I liked them first because I was a fan of Green Jello, Green Jelly before this, because yep. I had seen them live, and I know Maynard was in that band. Um, I know a lot of a lot of my friends are huge just Maynard fanboys, right? And a friend of mine took me to see Pucifer last year, which was one of the weirdest concert experiences that I've ever had. Not what I was expecting. I wasn't expecting him to be in costumes and playing characters and stuff like that, but huh. there was, uh, which is weird because like he's touring. They're doing a perfect circle. Lucifer and Primus are all touring together now. Yep. Haven't seen. I saw Les Claypool this year, but I have not seen Primus in a long time. And uh, as a spoiler, they're one of my favorite bands, and they might make an appearance later here on the show. But. Cool. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to take away too much of your time. No, I, no, I, I, yield, just, I um, yield the floor back to the Justin. I will. I'll just simply sum up and say, like I said, tool, tool, very much a gateway for me in many ways. Uh, but you know, '93 was a weird year. Like I said, a year of transition, and I'm I'm kind of curious to see, as someone who's just a, a little bit older than I am, you know, where where your head was at back in '93, and what what was kind of impactful for you as as we look back 30 years ago. Um, yeah, so 
93 was uh, definitely an important year for some of my favorite albums of all time came out that year. Um, are, are we done? Are you, did you want to talk about anything else or we can move on? No, please go okay. ahead. I, I'm, I'm, I'm all ears. Um, so let's just do this. Let's uh, I'm going to talk about the first two songs that we're going to play and then we'll come back to what uh, the other albums in my, uh, in my year. Um, I'm a huge Anthrax fan. No, no, everybody knows that. I have an Anthrax tattoo on my arm. Okay, um, '93 was the year that uh, Sound of White Noise came out. Their first album with John Bush, Armored Saint vocalist. Um, nobody knew what it was going to be like. The first single that came out was Only, and uh, it sounded nothing like they sounded previously. And um, I, I absolutely love Sound of White Noise. It is one of my top maybe 10 or 20 albums of all time. There's just something about this album. Every song is um, is memorable. I, I love every track on, on this album. It was very hard to pick something uh, to play, but um, I went with something that a lot of people don't really listen to very often. Um, it's one of the, I guess, one of the, they call them album tracks, but uh, Thousand Points of Hate. Have you guys ever heard this song? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Are you, uh, do you know this album, Justin, at all? I do. In fact, I think it's um, something that I've, I haven't obviously selected it yet uh, for our podcast to cover in long form, but Chris was not so impressed by Joey Belladonna's 80s uh anthrax so one of the running jokes on our podcast is that every time he doesn't like something we say well is it better than anthrax right it's just kind of the joke uh, but no as a john bush fan i think he would love this album i really do because it's a lot more palatable than some of that um 80s thrash stuff which again i i enjoy yeah. but it's not for everybody chris is, have you heard we uh this album yet sound of white noise um like here here and there actually it looks like i listened to it Two years ago, two and a half years ago, okay. in my iTunes. So um, it's memorable to you then. It's it's <laughs> yeah. way like it's way more what I would enjoy versus um I forgot what album that we talked about on the podcast, but it was just um it was just kind of bland to me. Um whereas like this to me, I feel like it has a little bit more um more melody to it. And I just really <sighs> love John Bush. I love Armored yeah. Saints, so like I, I'm I've been very curious. Um to, to go back and listen so this, to a John Bush era Anthrax album. If you guys ever do that, I would love to throw my hat in the ring to, to join that one. Um, but so this is a weird, it's a weird transitional period for the band. Cause like the last album with persistence of time, which was three years previously in 1990. And then the whole Belladonna thing happened and they got Bush in the band and they were already working on this album before he joined. But, I can't think of this album with any other vocalist. It would not work very well. Um, the The album sounds very modern comparatively to anything they've ever done before. Um, I, I I think it's some of their best songwriting. Um, I, I love Room for One More. I love Black Lodge. If you don't know that song, it's written about Twin Peaks. And they actually had the composer from Twin Peaks who just passed away like, earlier this year. Uh, the Mar Mario, I can't think of his name now, but uh, he actually worked on that song with him. Uh, Angelo Bada Lamonti, that's his name. 
Um, it's it, it's such a phenomenal album. Um, I don't know how many times I've listened to this album in my lifetime, but it's been a, it's a lot. And they did a lot. Of, they did a lot of cover songs during this time period too, which were really cool. Like they would cover Cheap Trick and Sin Lizzy and and freaking Beastie Boys, which was really cool. But uh, let's get into it. Um, this is uh, one of the tracks that I picked from uh, from Sound of White Noise. This is like track number seven. It's called A Thousand Points of Hate. And we'll be right back. <laughs>
that uh, that was one of my picks. That was Life of Agony this time from the album River Runs Red. That album and the and the following album, Ugly, were very important to me. I still love these albums so much. I remember that song in particular. I think it was the very first song I ever heard from Life of Agony, and that was on Z Rock back in the day. Uh, and I went out and bought the album the next day. It was that immediate. Um, I I think they're one of the best metal hardcore crossover style bands. I I love Mina's voice. Uh, back back in the day, she was going by Keist, and um, I think she has a phenomenal voice. It's it's soulful. It's powerful, and these songs, even though they're heavy uh the the lyrical deep meanings behind everything they ever did was uh very very deep and uh you know like this first album it's about a kid trying to commit suicide and going through his life and all that and uh, in the next album ugly there was a song that was like that went along with like my life at 22 and the song lost at 22 in particular um but man I really love River Runs Red. Uh, I haven't seen them live in a long time. We were just talking about the last time I saw them live, she, Mina was still Keys before she had actually made the complete changeover. So it's been a long time. They, and I know they're touring now, but they have not come anywhere nearby to go see them. Now, I know my wife would drop anything to go see them live. She likes them a lot, too. No. I was I've had no real exposure to this band, but yeah. they tour they tour around my area. They do. They're from your they're area, from New York. So yeah, um, I mean, like literally, you it seems like every month they're playing yeah. a show, or every couple of weeks they, they're they're literally um, relentless with their touring. But uh, this was my first exposure. Really interesting stuff. I, I'd like to check out more. You, they uh, it's just one of those bands. They do change from album to album. So um, they put an album, I think '97, called "Soul Searching Sun," which was very '90s alt metal rock stuff. I think Chris would actually really dig that album a lot. There's a song on there called "Weeds," which is one of my favorite songs of all time. It's such a great, great track. But um, yeah, if you don't know, um, the bass player Alan Robert. Um, do you ever seen those uh, these these ad- adult horror coloring books? No. Um, so um, I'm trying to pull one up so I can show you guys. Um, but he's become a comic book artist and an illustrator. Beauty of horror—that's what they're called. Um, I have like four or five different volumes of them. They're really cool. Uh, like one of the newer ones is like Universal Monsters and stuff like that. So, uh, phenomenal artist. He did all the art for them back in the day. He's done some really great graphic novels, one called Wire Hangers, which I recommend. Um, but, you know, still in the band, still touring with them and doing all that stuff. But, you know, uh, just one of my favorite bands of all time. And I don't think a lot of people don't really know them very much. You know what I mean? I think they would be a great addition to one of your episodes as a, as a request. Throwing that down there right now. 
Nice. I think uh, I think we'll definitely uh, add it to the list, and it's something we'll get to eventually. There's sometimes we feel like there's so many albums that we just haven't hit, so it's it's like the list is ever growing. But at the same time, that's what keeps it fresh and exciting for us. Yeah, I, we're, I, we're, I agree. We're approaching 200 episodes, and we haven't even to me we haven't even scratched the surface of of what's out there. I, I love, I, I, and I'm not trying to blow smoke or you know all that kind of stuff, but I love the, the concept of your show. I love, uh, the way it's because it's weird for me. I'm like, I hear albums. I'm like, Oh, I've known fucking like, I just listened to D manufacturer episode. I'm like, that's been one of my favorite albums for like 23 years, you know, whatever it is. And you're like, eh, it was okay. I didn't really like it. That much. <laughs> I'm like, what are you talking about? Well, that's and listen, we, we that is the beauty of it, right? That's, there's stuff the that we love it. that you might think we're crazy for, and vice versa. There's stuff that may just not have the nostalgia factor or yeah. resonate with us that other people are like, "This is a ten. Like, how could it not be?" Right? So that's, that that's what keeps it interesting. Which is weird because, like, uh, I've always been a huge Fear Factory fan, and I was lucky enough at Comet Palooza we had him in like 2017. We had Burton C. Bell and we had Dino as guests, and I got to moderate their panel. And uh, you could already tell there was some um, a little bit of strife between the mm. two guys. So I was up on the stage, and Burton like became like my best friend for some reason. He like drew a drum head for me. I got him a drum head, and he did this really cool design. Um, but every time Dino would talk, he would like like he would like hit my leg, and like and he's like, "The fuck, man! Can you what?" I'm just like I don't want to be the middleman here. I don't, you're, I don't know. Not okay. getting involved. I don't want to involved. <laughs> it was that whole deal, and then you know he's out of the band not too much later, you know. But neither I, I don't want to talk about that. But um, because that that album came out the next year, which was very important for me too. I was the the person I was dating that those few years. We really got into Fear Factory together. Um. So before Life of Agony, we had Anthrax from Sound of White Noise. Uh, one of my favorite Anthrax albums right behind Among the Living. Sorry, Chris. Um, I love uh, John Bush. I've always been a big fan. Like Symbol of Salvation, a, a great album. Uh, I love Sound of White Noise. Every, I, they were just firing on all cylinders, and it's the best John Bush album they did. Uh, some of the other ones, there's okay songs, but it wasn't. It, they weren't. It wasn't like this album, and that's very important for me. Um, let's go through some of the uh, stuff on my list, if you don't mind. Go for it. We talked about Chaos ID. Uh, I want to talk about Primus Pork Soda. Um, some great stuff on this album. Um, it's not Frizzle Fry, but it's not bad either. Um, this is before they became the band known for doing the South Park sing song. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was, I was always been a big Primus fan and I'm going to say Primus sucks. And if you know what I'm talking about, then you're a fan as well. <laughs> um, 1993, uh, infectious grooves put out Sarsipius's arc. The second album in their uh in their career do you have you guys you know infectious grooves at all i do not no i this is new for me 
So Infectious Grooves was a band, American funk metal band, which was sort of popular back in the day. Uh, it was originally started as like a side project, but uh, original uh, bass player with Robert Trujillo um, and then uh, uh, Mike Muir, vocalist from Suicidal Tendencies, was in this project. Um, Dean Pleasant and Jim Martin, who used to be in Face No More. It's They've had... It was very, very super group style, but if you've never heard these guys, they're like the perfect blend of like funk metal. Like the same year, Fishbone put out a great album too, which was in that in that vein. One of my favorite concerts around that time, and it might have been ninety three or ninety four, I can't remember, but I saw Infectious Grooves open up for Suicidal Tendencies, which was amazing for me. I've always been a huge ST fanboy. And man, doing two shows in one night, must, that's crazy for me. I don't know how he can do it, but they did it. If you've never heard um, them, I definitely recommend them. It's, it's a little bit wacky, but it's a lot of fun. A hmm. uh, little bit of a not metal, but uh, Song, The Face, and Devotion, uh, Depeche Mode that year. Phenomenal album. It's one of my favorite Depeche Mode albums of all time. Um, and I've really... I was into him back then, late, early, you know, early nineties, but I've recently rediscovered my love of that band and that, and that genre, like tears for fears, Duran Duran, all that kind of stuff. Um, it's just really, I've just, it's just rekindled a spark in, in my love for that type of stuff. And a lot of that had to do <laughs> with paradise lost. Cause they put out that host album this year from that, from the band host which is very much in the style of Depeche Mode and the old Paradise Lost host album. If you guys haven't heard that, I definitely recommend that. Um, Clutch put out their very first album that year. Uh, very seminal uh, for that alt metal stuff, just weird weirdness. I'm not a huge fan of, the, uh, of, of Clutch as a friend of mine, but I always appreciate them. Um, can I say a rap band here? You can it's your show, my friend. You can say whatever you'd like. Cypress Hill, Black Sunday. I was insane in the membrane that year for sure. <laughs> a lot of people were. Yeah, it was such a just a great album. Um, and I'm gonna go a little weird here. I have I we have a list here, but uh I have a couple I guess you can call them comedy albums, but uh Weird Al Alapalooza. I'm saying that. And uh, Adam Sandler, they're all going to laugh at me. One of my favorite comedy albums of all time. That was his very first album. Yeah. Right? Exactly. I don't. He um, didn't really do a lot of albums, but there was something about that with all his friends. And just, it was like that time period, we would listen to it a lot. And, you know, you, you start regurgitating all this stuff from the album. And, you know, it's, it was one of those albums. Yeah. <laughs> For me, it was the, uh, I don't remember the name, the one that fo- that followed after it. Um, that was the one that we listened to when we were like in junior high school. And oh, yeah? just thought it was the the funniest thing with the one with the Hanukkah song on it. And Yes. I'm um, trying to trying to look at his albums. Um, all that stuff that was being passed around school. It would be like, be like stuff you'd giggle at with your friends on the school bus. Like, like the Dennis, who was the guy's name? Dennis Leary, who had the asshole song. Yep. 
Yeah. Yep, whatever. Dennis just Leary, yep. Stupid stuff like that. Jerky Boys. <laughs> yeah, Jerky I, Boys. Yeah, I, I never got in the Jerky Boys, but I love Dennis Leary. He got to start doing those stupid commercials for uh, MTV, like the cab driver, if you remember those. Yeah. Oh my God, that was him? Yeah, it was Dennis Leary. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's great. <laughs> if you've never watched, have you ever, got, you ever seen Rescue Me? I never saw it, but I know the show that it was the fire, the fire, the fire department. Show, right? Yeah, one of my favorite shows of all time. It was he was so great in that show. Yeah, just welcome back to the Dennis Larry podcast. I'm a- <laughs> <laughs> um, do you guys want to? We have this list of, of of. I picked some seminal albums. We've talked about it, some of them already, but um, I'm going to use that word again. I guess we would be remiss if we didn't mention some more of these. Uh, we've uh, the very first Amorphous EP came out in 1993, Privilege of Evil. Um, not my favorite era of this band, but I can appreciate what they were what they were starting out as and uh, what they've turned into now, of course. Um, what about Anasima, uh, Serenades? It's so funny because when you listen to Serenades and then mm-hmm. you listen to what this band would become it sounds like two completely different bands. You would have no idea. Um, Their metamorphosis is about as stark as just about any other band on the planet. That's how different this death metal sounds compared to the prog rock uh, radio friendly stuff that they would be doing, you know, but five or seven years later. Yeah. Yeah. Only five years later, which is crazy. Um. I have a, let's see here. Uh, we got to mention Hammer Smash Face, the first EP from Cannibal Corpse. That's, uh, I, I, it was weird. I had a Corpse Grinder liked a, a, a comment I made today. I, I shared it with you guys earlier. There's that um, Cannibal Corpse coloring book coming out. And I don't remember what, which company or which, who shared the thing. And I made a comment that you know, everybody, they're going to have, everybody's going to have to get red Crayolas. Huh. He liked it. I was like, "What the fuck?" It's weird to get a notification that Corpse Grinder likes your your comment, you know. Um, but we talked about Carcass. Uh, what about Cathedral, the Serial Mirror? I've never heard this. Oh, really? I bet Sean has some opinions on this one, so I'm going to kick it over to him. I actually kind of forgot that this was a '93 thing. Um, this is an album that I don't know that much about. But I do like Cathedral quite a bit. Mm-hmm. So two, I think two of the best Cathedral songs are on this album: "Ride" and "Midnight Mountain." Once you hear "Midnight Mountain," that's it. You're like, okay, I'm hooked on these guys. Um, it's one of the earache bands from that time period, of course. Um, uh, of course, if you don't know who, uh, do you know guys who know Cathedral is at all? I'm not familiar with them. All right, so basically it's the band that Lee, Lee Dorian started after he left Napalm Death. Okay. So we decided to turn... I, I can't... They, they call it doom metal, but it's not entirely doom metal. It's, it's a weird categorization. You have to hear it to know it's their own brand of doom metal, basically. It's Cathedral Doom. It's, huh. uh, it's happy, it's catchy, it's peppy. 70s-ish. 70s influence, for sure, yeah. Very psych-influenced a lot, you know? But it's different than like when you say you like a doom metal band. Um, I think you guys might like it. Um, 
the the first Crowbar album, or second album, this is, no, the self-titled was the second album, I'm sorry. Um, some of their, one, I think one of their best albums, one of the best bands in the sludge metal uh, category. Also that year, there was a great I Hate God album that came out. Um, take for, was it Take Further? Take is Neither for Pain, that's what it is. Um, we've mentioned Death. We've mentioned Dark Tranquility, right? Um, let's do the couple of uh, seminal death metal albums that I, I'm not 100% everything about it, but let's talk about like Aceist Elements, one of the great prog progressive death metal albums. Uh, what about, uh, let's see here, Cancer, The Sins of Mankind? I don't know that one. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's another new one for me. This, you know, as I'm as I'm going through this list, it's funny because, yeah. um, you know, again, I had to go back and 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 kind of check out a lot of this stuff after the fact, and as a result, I'm I'm seeing holes that even I have to plug in at this point just because sure. uh, stuff I haven't heard or bands that I might know, but I don't know the album. You know, um, put them on the list. Yeah, right. Uh, speaking of like going back to that that death metal style list, uh, Disincarnate Dreams of the Decarian Kind. Very important album, uh, Gore Guts, The Erosion of Sanity, uh, Hypocrisies, uh, first album, Obsculum, uh, I can't, Obscenum, that's what it is. Um, Peter Tachin, great band, uh, great songwriter. Uh, we already mentioned Morbid Angel Covenant, right? Um, did we did we talk about Catatonia, Dance of December Souls yet? I don't believe so. Well, let's do that. <laughs> Maybe we should. What's the uh what's your uh relationship to this album? Uh I don't have one. Um I, I my knowledge of Catatonia does not go back that uh that as far back as this. Um so I I, I would defer to to you and Justin and Sean on this one. So I got into Catatonia late and I went all the way back, I think to probably like the turn of the century with them. Yeah. And then I kind of just stopped. I don't know why, but it was like, they have such a massive discography that I've never heard this. Um, I have to assume it's obviously, you know, just based on the, uh, the, the uh, logo and stuff. I can gather that this is a lot more in the vein of a, of a death metal and that it is obviously some of their later stuff, which is more of like Gothic, doomy uh in nature but uh yeah I, I'm gonna, correct on that i'm gonna check i'm gonna check it out just because you know i'm, a, I'm a, i am a fan of the band i just don't know all of their stuff it, like, it's like, not entirely like they definitely used a lot of harsh vocals but it was more the early the mid 90s death doom style like my dying bride and stuff like that yeah. so, oh interesting the, okay. the gothic stuff didn't come in until like brave murder day yeah, like yeah. 2004 or something like that. It's, it's in and around there. Maybe a little later. Um, did you want to talk about the Metal Church album, Sean? Hanging in the Balance? Eh, I'm, I mean, I, <laughs> hey. no, it's not a bad album, actually, but um, it it never stuck with me. And I think a lot of it has to do with like I sort of dismissed it because how ridiculous the cover was. No, the, the cover is fucking horrible. And... Um, I think as a result of that, at, at that time when I when I first got this album, mm-hmm. that kind of thing meant a lot to me. So if it looked like a joke, I sort of mentally treated it like a joke, you know? Yeah. So 
it, it, I think it's always gotten the shaft because of that. Maybe I should go back and listen to it. There's some there's some really good tracks on the album. Uh, no friend of mine, which they still played live. But this is the last album that Mike Howe was on for for decades before before his return, then his ultimate ultimately passing away. But I think Mike Howe was one of the most underrated metal vocalists out there. Um, his delivery is is so unique and in in different i love it it's fascinating he was one of the most surprising live singers that i've ever heard and i say that in a good way i had such uh low expectations for this is for metal church as a live band and i was so privileged to see him before his passing uh he still had it with, with you know within a couple of years of his passing he was absolutely great and blew me away much in the way that John Bush did when I first saw Armored Saint live, just a really great singer with a great stage presence. Um, you really can't go wrong with any of the Mike House stuff. Yeah, for sure. Were you going to say Sean too? Well, it's it's because this is the last one that he did until like he they reunited like right. when he came back. Like so, he leaves this year ninety three. Halford leaves Priest. Um, Dickinson leaves Maiden. Um, Pretty much after the the tour in '93, and and um, who had I met? Akiske also mm-hmm. leaves sure. Halloween. So sort of a cataclysmic year for for lead singers and major bands, and and um, I don't know. It, it, it's yeah, it, it's a real in '93 has some. They had that LSD, that lead singer disease. Transitional. <laughs> um, it's tr- it's, it has some transitional weight when you look back in history of like bands having to change or being forced to change like in the years after it, mm. you know, I had forgotten that uh pink cream 69 released uh games. People play in 93. And that was the last did album they? they did with Andy Darris before yeah. he would join right. Halloween. That's right. So yeah. yeah, we talked so much about chameleon, uh, in the last week and completely forgot of like, this is kind of a catalyst of, you know, what, where Halloween would go. Yeah. Um, do we, we, do we talk about merciful fate in, in, in the shadows? I know you guys aren't a, a fan of, of King diamond or. No, I, I, I like them. I'm just not, I, I know more of the eighties merciful fate stuff. I, I, by, by this point, I just kind of, um, never checked out this era. But if you go back to obviously don't break the oath, which we discussed yeah. uh, with you guys on our podcast and the Melissa album, which I think just celebrated its 40th anniversary. Don't say uh, that 40. Th- yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> but it's, it's sad, but true here we are. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's, that's kind of where I go back to. Um, we thought, did we talk about Satyricon, Sean? I'm, I think I mentioned it. You mentioned it. Yeah. Um, Overkill, I hear black. Um, I don't think it's my favorite Overkill album out of their fifteen hundred they've done in their career, but it is it is a good, a good, a good it is a good thrash album. And there was a wasn't a lot of great thrash that year. Um, we talked about Sentence North from here a little bit. Uh, Sleeps Holy Mountain, Holy Mountain indeed. <laughs> um, one of my first forays into like stoner doom and i don't think it ever gets better than this album and it really i'm not a huge high on fire fan but i do like sleep a lot um do you guys remember a band called tad 
I don't think I've ever heard of a band called Tad. Tad, Tad was Rose. a yeah, they were sort of a um, rock band, but they were like a Seattle band, where they had that that grunge element mm. to them. Um, they're pretty good. They had a they had a song that was sort of popular for a while on their first on what, Inhaler, I think. But they were an early sub pop band, you know. Um, now the last album, okay, well before that, Sacred Reich Independent. We just saw Sacred Reich earlier this year and talk about uh, one of the great thrash albums that doesn't get enough recognition. I think Independent is one of those. Do you agree, Sean? Uh, Yeah. No. And one of the great thrash bands that doesn't get the credit they deserve. Yeah. First time I ever saw them was when they opened up for Carcass this year. I cannot believe that took so long. Um, The last band that I wanted to talk about is... One of my favorite albums of 1993, one of my favorite bands of all time, uh, that would be Bloody Kisses from Typo Negative. Seminal, seminal album in, in, I guess, call it Goss Doom or whatever you want to call them. Yeah, I agree. There's some really interesting stuff on this woman at woman on this album not 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 least of which is it really it really was but you know it's it's funny like um when, when even when i saw them live many years after this album had come out they always mm-hmm. went back to a lot of this stuff in their set list because it was just yep. i think widely regarded as one of if not their best release i uh we listened to this album so much um with my my friend group back in the day um i remember the first time i ever the first and only time i ever took shrooms to, to this album and that was probably oh, that not a great, great trip no no pun intended it was probably not a great idea but uh yeah there's so many great tracks on this album um christian women of course is one of their big popular ones uh but it it never it, it it always stops after like the main part. I love the the entire like long version of the of the song, and of course, black number one, little Miss Carol. That's an it's become an eponymous song for you want to you want a heavy metal Halloween playlist. You got to put that song on there. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, I think it made their career really. Um, I I love Typo Negative. I've I've seen them many many times during their career. And uh, I can't believe this Bloody Kisses is probably my favorite song on the album. Just such a a slow and then depressing song. It's so good. Arguably, arguably one of the biggest albums to come out yep. uh, in 1993. And at the very least, one of the most influential for sure. I mean, this, oh, yeah. this album influenced so many bands that would come later on and, and, Nobody was making music like this at the time. I mean, nobody. So it was really ahead of its time in many ways. I mean, you have a you have a track called "Kill All the White People," and the next track is a cover of "Summer Breeze." Who else was doing that? <laughs> Not a soul on the planet other than Peter Steele. It just, it just flows, Steel. doesn't it? it? It's a perfect combination of songs. Uh, I I love this band so much. Um, what what about you, Chris and Sean? What is your relationship to this album at all if any i'm not super familiar with it um when we did the our october rust uh episode that was kind of like my entry point Mm. 
to uh, typo negative. And it was really interesting. It was not what I was expecting at all. Like I was, I don't know, for whatever reason, I always assumed that they were like more of a death metal band and it really wasn't uh, like that at all. It was, I, I enjoyed, I enjoyed that album a lot. So I, I'll have to go back and check out their uh, earlier stuff. Yeah. Maybe Carnivore was the band that they had before typo negative, which is a little bit more, in that vein, but not entirely like death metal, but a little bit heavier. Um, I remember the, I have a story about Peter Steele. Uh, I, I was, I don't remember what tour it was. It was outside of numbers. Do you know your numbers, Sean? Uh, it's this dance club here in Houston that actually went there last week during like during Halloween. And it was so fucking crowded. We, we got overwhelmed and left, but we, they used to do concert there, and I remember seeing Typo Negative there, and I was working for a local, I'm using quotes, air, a newspaper, right? And I was interviewing the guitar player, Kenny, and uh, Peter Steele walks on the bus and says, hey, would you like a Coke? And he meant a Coca-Cola, of course, and you don't turn down anything from Peter Steele when he asks you a question. You're like, yes, sir, please, give me another <laughs> But he was so nice. Um, uh, you know, it, it definitely gone way too early. I can, I just can imagine the album they would still be making if he was still alive. You know. Yeah, it's almost like they were just kind of hitting their prime yeah. in many ways, both in terms of a touring act and some of the stuff that they were doing later on in their career. Um, I have no doubt that they probably would have taken a hiatus and coming back real strong had he still been around. I. No doubt about that whatsoever. I love their uh, their moniker that people named them the Drab Four, like like <laughs> based on the <laughs> the Beatles, the Fab Four. <laughs> I just got a kick out of that. But yeah, um, I, that's pretty much it. I mean, I, if I'm forgetting something, I apologize. But there's so much more in that year. But um, we talked a little bit about some uh, people leaving vocalists, leaving bands. Um, what about that year? Also, Alex Kolnick and, and Louis Clemente left Testament. Um, Chris Oliva was uh, that was he he passed away in 1993 from that car crash, right after Edge of Storms came out. Basically, right. Uh, a few months later, yeah. yeah, I think I think he was able to do. They were able to tour the album. Oh, were they? I don't, okay, I think, I think the tour might have been over by the time the accident happened. But uh, I think that wraps up my, my portion. Is there anything that we want to touch upon before we wrap it up? The only other thing I would add is really just the, you know, the murder of Euronymous from uh, Mayhem. Just, you know, okay. not that yes. black metal was like my favorite genre, although I do I do consider myself a pretty big Emperor fan. And there's some other bands like Dissection, you know, some of their earlier stuff. Yeah. But um, just a really, you know shocking event in, in the news and whatnot and to be killed by another black metal musician with with varg uh just you know crazy stuff in many ways i mean they have documentaries about it that have come out in the last five years and this you know obviously goes back 30 years now and make I mean, a the great thing, movie the thing about that event was that like if you go back and you think like if it never happened would black metal have made enough waves to get over to across the Atlantic and across the world the way it did. Maybe it would have, so. but it, it, it wouldn't have I think it was exploded. the shock and horror of it that really kind of 
Yeah, I captivated mean, well, the young audience in many ways. It added fuel to the fire, and I don't mean that as a pun, but the first time I ever heard mm-hmm. the term black metal was on the the issue of Kerrang that had Varg Vikernes on it. I remember reading it at a at a uh, like a Walden Books or something, and like looking at this and going, "What is black metal?" Like I I know all about death metal. I've never heard of black metal. And reading about these that that story, I'll never forget sitting there reading that story <laughs> and just going, "What is going on?" And it captivated me. And then I went and started trying to find anything I could about black metal releases, which at the time was really hard. I think the first thing I ever found for black metal in the store was Demu Borgir. And that uh, that's in, definitely in a far, far, uh, far version yeah, of but, black metal. But it, it was just like how, how limited the, the ability of that or th- that genre was being distributed in the United States. It was like, you could barely find anything until like nuclear blast or something got a hold of it. And those guys wouldn't have even been interested if it wasn't for the craziness the hype that got generated after sure. this, this you know tragic event happened. So. I never thought about it that way. I didn't. I never. I mean, I, I guess I, I guess I did. You know, get a, pe- a lot of people to want to see what the deal was. You know, I mean, to to go from it like wasn't popular a, here in the states. No, to go from like an insular scene in like a small town in Norway to being on the cover of Kerrang and Kerrang back in the day, and people don't remember this maybe that much today but krang was a big effing deal like if you made the cover of krang that was huge publicity and mm-hmm. so yeah for for a guy like you know like these bands these black metal bands to be on the cover was was nuts so um, what's your favorite black metal album from this time period from the 90s from like early from 93 well, we're around this. <laughs> doesn't have to be '93, but this this whole time period here, early black metal. Uh, early black metal probably be in the Night Side Eclipse. I'd say Emperor. Yeah, yeah. I, a, I would agree choice. with that. I would say that that was the best. If you go like pre '95 for this early era, that that was the album. Yeah, yeah post I me mean, from '95 to 2000, I would say Enthroned Darkness Triumphant and Muborgir. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. There's or I don't know. Maybe at the Heart of Winter, Immortal. I don't know. Yeah. That's a whole other podcast. Yeah, there's a whole yeah. other podcast. <laughs> um, and I want to talk about, there's one last thing I want to talk about. Uh, a brand new song came out from a band known as the Beatles came out today. Oh, yeah, I heard that. I think this band has a lot of potential. I, <laughs> I, think, they're, I think they're going places. I, I got to be honest. I'm looking forward to hearing more from them. <clears throat> but uh, what did you guys think about the song? A, I thought the video thing. was... The, the the star of the show the yeah the way that the video was done where it interspersed like old footage with new footage um, all done by Peter I, I Jackson song, actually yeah it was amazing um I the song I think was you know pretty like pretty okay. like a pretty good solid Beatles song it didn't blow me away but just the visuals of the music video alone are, are worth watching the video for I mean the song it's an impressive it, achievement. It, it is. They've been we've been working on this for years. I mean, it's the last Beatles song that they're all going to perform on together because the the ba- there's like a ten minute documentary, mini documentary about the making of this, which is really cool to watch too. Basically, it's there was like a, a tape that Yoko Ono gave Paul McCartney back in the '90s or 2000s or whenever they're working on those greatest hits albums, 
and they were able to to make two songs off of that. But this one, they were never able never able to separate the piano enough from Lennon's voice to make it a viable song. Uh, and then the, they made Peter Jackson when they were making that Get Back movie got had this AI assisted. Not the song was not AI done. Everybody's complaining about that. It was not. They used an AI assisted uh, computer to separate the vocals from the piano. And they weren't, then they were able to go in there and make the song that they released out of it. The, the um, documentary is actually pretty interesting. There was like yes. machine learning to discern the audio pattern of his voice mm-hmm. versus the piano. That's, that's pretty clever. I, 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 people are giving a lot of hate on this song, but I mean, what are you expecting? Are you expecting another, like hey jude or something like that this was a song that was a demo they released all their best stuff you know <laughs> i know it's be happy you got one more Beatles song that's what i gotta say you know what i mean mm-hmm. it's be just, happy you, you know, got the, just us the the did you guys internet all over again uh, this What'd was say, Sean? this is a it's just just the internet being the internet all oh over yeah again. totally this so i i list, i watched this video a couple hours ago as of right now it is 11.30 p.m. Eastern time on November 3rd. Mm-hmm. There are This was posted 14 hours ago. Yep. has 7.5 million views on YouTube as of right now. Wow. I watched it earlier with my wife uh, at about 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock, and there was like 6 million views. People are at home watching this shit. <laughs> That's cool, though. It, it's, a, it's a great video. Um, it deserves to be heard. Um, if it can, I would be surprised if this song makes it like to the top of the chart. I would, well, I wouldn't be surprised. I think it'd be cool just for like a week, you know, not fucking what's her name off the charts. Anybody insert anybody on the top of the chart. <laughs> take them down. I haven't um, looked at the charts since 1993. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you, when we first talked about it, Sean, you, you had a, you're like a groan. Did you not like the song? I mean, I, I just the song itself is fine. It's yeah. just I don't know. It didn't really do much. For me the documentary is more interesting than the song. Put it that yeah. way. The song doesn't have to be more than fine. You know what I mean? It, it is. It is what it is. It's a B side. It basically yeah. and and people should be excited that there's a song that they never heard before. Like yeah. it, it's kind of how I felt about listening to chameleon when I had heard the keeper of the seven keys albums and time of the oath and master of the rings. I was like, I just want to hear more Halloween, even if it's not as good as the rest of it. It's still, it's still something I haven't heard. So got your hopes all up. Yeah. I, I, Hey, listen, if you saw what I ranked pink bubbles, go ape and chameleon, (laughs) I, I, I I think they're fine records. (laughs) You did give it a higher score than I was expecting. That's, no, no spoilers. If you want to hear, uh, go check out was a couple episodes ago episodes of the Metal Exchange where they talk about Chameleon. It's a perfect combination with our 1993 discussion. Yes, and we do have um, a handful of episodes in the in the back catalog of um, of albums that we talked about today, particularly um, Angels Cry by Angra and yep. uh, Wounded Land by Threshold. So there's there's a few there. And yeah, I think like go back and listen to that Threshold one. You guys should do a Beatles album. I, I, it's definitely, oh. I think, on the uh, on the horizon Metal. at some point. 
It doesn't all have to be metal. There's some yeah, heavy. Uh, no, it doesn't. You. <laughs> there might not be metal without some of those later That's Beatle right. albums. So yeah. think there about it that way. But I'll just I'll leave that there. But yeah, uh, no, it's, Chris, it's on my Chris list. Chris Jericho. Chris Jericho says that he believes Helter Skelter is the first metal song ever written. So Chris Jericho can go take a flying leap. He does. <laughs> the first he metal does. song. He does take a flying leap a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I interviewed that guy one time. I never used it. I've had enough of we, that guy. We talked about Halloween for most of the interview anyways. <laughs> I, uh, I met him at a book signing once, and he was telling me stories about hanging out with um, Dream Theater uh, the night before he was supposed to be in a match and getting getting drunk and like having to go to the match hungover. And he definitely seemed like he was more interested in talking about music than wrestling, which was fine because I listened to the same music he did. So. Right. I mean, his name or his name is from a Halloween song, an album from Rafa Jericho. Yep. His famous you know, he move. Was, he was just in town like maybe like two weeks ago. I went to go get my oil changed at a dealership and I went to have breakfast at the Waffle House right next to it while my car was getting worked. And the waitress told me that they were all in the Waffle House the night before Jericho was there like hanging out and stuff, holding court in the Waffle House. The cook was all fired up about it. <laughs> I was like, oh, wow, go figure. I mean, That's his, awesome. his band sucks. I, I'll just say that. Fozzie is horrible. When they first came out, when they were doing Iron Maiden covers, I could deal with it. But when they started writing their own original music, uh, no. No, thank you. So you weren't a big Stuck Mojo fan before Fozzie? You know, I, I, I could appreciate Stuck Mojo back in the day for what it was. I liked a couple of songs. I liked the album that Devin Townsend produced. But, you know, but that's, yeah, Fozzie, no. <laughs> on that note, um, I want to thank you guys for hanging out with us again on this episode. Um, if, let's let's let our, our, our special guest here let everybody know where they can find your, your podcast and all that good stuff. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. Um... We are the Metal Exchange Podcast. We uh, talk about a different album every week. Um, we tend not to let each other know which album we're talking about until the previous week. So you have about a week. We have a week to prep for it. Um, we're going to be talking about uh, the, the new Sorcerer album on our next album. That'll be our next uh, topic. Um, Previously, we talked about The Downward Spiral by Nine Inch Nails, uh, Chameleon by Halloween. Um, we have a Patreon. Uh, our Patreon members uh, get to make requests. Um, so that uh, we do a request uh, the first Monday of every month. And um, all the links you can find um, are, you can find at uh, linktr.ee slash metal exchange and it has all of our socials all of our uh all the places that you can uh stream or watch the podcast or on youtube apple spotify google uh pretty much anywhere you'd want to find us uh but that that's us and um we are uh big fans of your uh you guys and your podcast and we love uh when we get together with you guys and talk because we just always seem to have a lot in common to talk about. Um, so it, it, you, we consider you guys like our kindred uh, podcast spirits. Yes, sir. Uh, I, I feel everything you just said. I, I'm a big fan of your show and yeah, I'm, I'm glad that Sean mentioned you guys randomly on an episode one day. Cause look where we're at now. 
st- cool stuff coming in the future, right, Justin? Yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to uh, giving more information out. But uh, we're inching closer, and I think that uh, 2024 will be a very very fun year for all of us. And uh, yes. thanks to you both for having us on again. 1993 was really an interesting year, and I think we uh, I, I hope everyone agrees that we did it justice with uh, with this chat. So thank you both. Thank you, uh, Sean. Let's uh, go with you, sir. Uh, yeah, you can find me uh, at themetalpigeon.com and Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at themetalpigeon. Any uh, special uh, topics you're writing about right now? Um, not well. Nothing I want to say yet. I'm not sure what's oh. going to come out next. Perfect. No spoilers here. No, no spoilers. Um, of course, you can find us on the interwebs, uh, msrcast.com, or our sister show, The Metal Geeks Podcast at metalgeeks.net. We're at all the places where you can download your podcast. We're on Spotify and Apple Music and all that kind of stuff. We uh, are socials at MSRCast. And if you're on Facebook, come join the Metal Geek Society, where we talk about all kinds of stuff. And thank you guys again for being part of this conversation with us. And uh, thank you to the Metal Pigeon, of course. And uh, thank you to everyone listening. And as always, we have one last thing we have to say. Uh, Keep it metal. Keep it metal. Keep it metal. And keep it vintage.
Fine podcast brought to you by MSR Productions. All rights reserved, blah, 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 blah. For reviews, archives of our podcasts, and all your other metal geekery needs, please visit metalgeeks.net. Keep it geeky. Keep it metal.